0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today, as usual. um, You know, we're going to start off talking about the five investments never to make
1: ever. Yeah, these are big.
0: These are big, you know. I mean, we've seen a lot over twenty something years of of doing this. You and I, and um, you know, I mean, we've run into some folks that have really lost a lot of money making some bad investments. There are a lot of kind of trendy things out there um, that sound good on the surface, but when you dig into them they're terrible and the results are usually terrible. So we're going to, we're going to talk about five of them you want to avoid.
1: Yeah, and I think you can take lessons from that as well. It's not just those five specifically, but you can kind of extrapolate that into some other things that you're seeing and hearing. Exactly. As well.
0: Yeah, there's some deeper lessons to learn here. So you want to you want to stay tuned for that.
1: Yeah, and then we're going to follow up with an article about retirement and we talk a lot about Steve the uh, the financial side of this and making sure that that your budget, your number that you need for income matches up with a retirement plan and that's certainly a big step, but there's also another aspect that is not talked a lot about, and that's mentally preparing for yes, retirement.
0: it is quite the change for folks, and we see this all the time, right? I mean, people retire, and that's you know, what we're in business for, helping people get there, but when they get there, there is the mental aspect of it. you got to be ready for that, so we're going to dig it. I think that's a great segment, great topic. It is. It's a short about.
1: one, but it's very, very, uh, very important. Yes, it is very powerful.
0: By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. And I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice.
1: And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years.
0: We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every week on Friday
1: afternoons. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net, and that's where the podcasts are located. You can listen from our website, but you can also go to our historical podcast. We have them categorized by topic, so retirement, long-term care, budgeting, whatever you financial topics out there we probably have talked about it because we've been doing this for a long time now we have six years six
0: years over six years and uh so we have quite the library of we do topics out that we've discussed and uh, researched and so a lot of information out there you got to dig into our website and really take a look good look at that and check us out on our website moneymd.net where you can link to us there you can send us your questions we'd love to hear from you uh, you can also email us directly at info at net.
1: You also have a Facebook page, right? We we post True. videos on there every week, the prescription of the week. We have um, sometimes are pretty humorous. We try to add a little uh, humor into the videos, and we've got a good one coming up this week. So make sure you check us out, MoneyMD, on Facebook.
0: Absolutely. Okay, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week.
1: Yeah, Steve, this is, um, you know, part of the value we feel like we add to our clients is a little bit of a historical perspective, and man, I tell you, when you look back at history, uh, about six years ago to the day is when the U.S. was downgraded um, by the S&P from a top credit rating, and, you know, I remember it very well. The markets were not happy. Um, no. That was, so that actually happened on August the 5th of 2011, and that first week of August, the markets were off um, over nine percent. Wow! And if you look at it from April, we are in the middle of a correction, and the markets were off about fifteen percent. So, very very negative period of time. But if you would have stayed invested, and you would have actually invested more on right, those those times, right. the market has gained. The S and P five hundred has gained one hundred and thirty four percent, which averages to about fifteen percent per year. So. Some lessons to be drawn from that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it was a very short-lived correction, wasn't it? I mean, it turned right around, and it's interesting because we're running into this budget battle again here in Congress, coming right up in very short period of time. Um, but, you know, markets, they they it's just noise when it comes to the markets. I mm-hmm. mean, markets turned around, and, you know, right now markets are good. Earnings have been good. That's really what drives the markets long-term. But uh, you just can't put any stock, really, in these short-term events that happen in terms of how they relate to the market. The market is very unpredictable. Even the downgrade to U.S. credit, you know, truth is, I mean, U.S. credit still trades as the highest credit in the world, US, mm-hmm. the U.S. government credit. And it's really, it doesn't matter what the rating agencies say, it's how it trades that matters right. in terms of the real credit rating and it trades as the highest credit available. So I think it's an interesting fact of the
1: week. Yeah, don't don't try to predict the markets when the markets are down, you know, it may be an opportunity. So just remember that.
0: Exactly. Totally unpredictable. And speaking of unpredictable, you know, here are five <clears throat> investments to never make ever. You know, and we've talked about this before. I mean, John, I mean, we've seen it about about all of it in our business in terms of investments, the good, bad, and the ugly over the years. Um, so we've come up with our our worst investment mistakes that we've seen clients make, you know, on their own over the years. And we're calling these the five investments never to make ever. And that's because we've seen these, you know, typically lose money and sometimes lose a lot. Um, now, some of these may sound kind of obscure, but, you know, like something you wouldn't do. But there are some overriding principles here to learn.
1: Because there's always something hot in the market. That's right. Someone's always coming to you and saying, Hey, this is what you need to do. And, and, uh, it's the hot topic of the day. So it kind of falls into that.
0: That's right. I mean, there are patterns here. So while you may not, you know, own any of these, if you invest long enough, you're going to hear about similar ones that are equally poor. And, you know, these are our opinion. So they're based on our experience. Obviously there's room to disagree and there are exceptions out there where, where, you know, occasionally these work out, but, um, you know, if you look at history, you could get lucky with some of these and be okay, but maybe not. You know, lots of us have been burned by a risky stock or poor timing on an investment over the years, but these go way beyond that.
1: Yeah. You know, any investment sounds good if it's presented in the right light, but eventually it really gets down to, to math. And if the math is against you, the investor, um, then you'll have to be really lucky uh, for it to turn out okay. And when I think about this, I think about, you know, casinos. You know, the math is against you. And, right. and um, you know, there are investments where the math is seriously against you. So you, you're definitely going to want to stay clear of these because it, it kind of starts to look like gambling when you look at some of these things.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So the first one here that you may have heard of was popular back in the late nineties and these have kind of made resurgences from time to time. That that is a viatical settlement. Um so you may not be familiar with these, but these do get popular from time to time and they sound too good to be true. And that's typically because they are right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are investments. Um, these are investments in an insurance, pol- insurance policy on someone who is supposedly terminally ill. You own part of one or more insurance policies that are supposed to pay out in the next couple of years for a handsome profit. Unfortunately, these are not regulated by the SEC, and there have been there has been a lot of fraud um, with these over the years. Lots of people lost everything in these a few years ago, um, as a lot of these went bad, and the folks didn't die on schedule. You know, to put it crassly, mm-hmm, in, inside yeah. these these policies that were purchased. Um, So these are often presented as kind of a guaranteed return over a number of years, but lots of things can go wrong with these. I mean, the bottom line here is these are terrible investments that are sold as low risk, but steer clear of these. You know, the principle is simple. If it sounds too good to be true... You know, question it, get expert advice. If you can't understand it, then run the other way. Yeah.
1: Lot, That's really the principle. A lot of them are very complicated. And the second one in line is um, shares in an oil or gas program or maybe a limited partnership. And these are where you buy shares in a drilling program for new oil or gas wells. And you may be a part um, of it to – you you pay a, a part to drill the well, and then you pay another portion to develop it if it hits uh, oil or gas these are usually presented as a potentially very lucrative investment, maybe a fifty percent chance of hitting it big, but they're called developmental wells for a reason. Um, you know, if they are near a known group of producing wells, that supposedly means that they have lower risk, but that's not the case is from what we see.
0: No, definitely not. You know, and I have to admit I tried one of these myself years ago and you know, it's a painful lesson and you know, everybody has experience with something that, mm-hmm. that went bad over the years. But if you study results from a lot of projects like these, the percent that actually pay off is really small, you know. So you have to dig into the statistics of it to really see if the math is on your side, as we mentioned. You know, the ones that do hit it and produce oil or gas, they don't turn out nearly what you would expect. Um, In fact, the ones I've studied, they had very few that returned enough to repay the cost of the drilling um, if fifty percent, you know, don't hit and are a complete loss, and the other fifty percent have to average out huge to get a decent return, but that's not the reality. In my experience, you know, is that the only people who usually make out good on these kind of deals is the operator and the landowner. <laughs> yep. You know, because they have a better, they have a be- the maths on their side <laughs> in those cases. So the investors are lucky to get the original investment back on average. But even that's pretty rare. So the tax benefits that you might hear from these are not worth much if you lose your money. So avoid these like the plague. And that goes for most investments that tout a lot of tax benefits. Typically, you know, they're very poor investments. And the tax benefits aren't worth it in the long run. So that was number two. The next one here on the list is an insurance policy or annuity purchased with loan proceeds. Often it's on your house.
1: Oh, that's, that's risky. But
0: yeah, I mean, any, any investment that's purchased with loan proceeds, you mm. know, should raise a red flag, uh, in your mind. But of course, you know, the numbers always look great. If you borrow money at maybe 4% and then you get maybe 5% or even stock market returns on any investment, the numbers are going to look great on the surface. However, you know, insurance and annuities, they have built in upfront cost and, the floating mortgage rates can go up, um, and will go up eventually over time. Uh, you know, if you if you look at history, you know that's a very popular strategy back in the '90s, and, and it, it it seems to be making a comeback here recently. So we've seen a variation of this where you take a loan against maybe a stock portfolio that you don't sell. You know, this is a disaster waiting to happen because the loan eventually could get called. If the stocks drop and you'll have to sell out of low price, the principle here is if you mix loans with investments, you're increasing your risk and you're creating new ways for it to go bad. So avoid that. Um, It's also true with rental real estate. I mean, you know, people buy rental properties with big loans and if something goes bad, it can go really bad due to the leverage of having that that big mortgage on the property. Um, so in general, you want to try to steer clear of using a loan for an investment, even in real estate, you know, over time, it it vastly increases your risk.
1: Yeah. Stay away from leverage. Exactly. Definitely increases the risk. Next one here on the list is any kind of hyper trading strategy. And these are often disguised as a hedge fund or maybe algorithm type investment strategy. And even some mutual funds do a lot of trading. So if you have a mutual fund that has over a hundred percent turnover, then there's something wrong. They're actively managing that, and they're turning over this tremendous cost in there. And history shows that this trading cost will likely kill any strategy that is incurring the cost due to a lot of trading. So there's excess cost, and uh, it eventually catches up with them.
0: Yeah, that's right. Of course, I mean, we like to see very low trading, you know, since trading cost is a big factor and a well-diversified portfolio strategy should not need a lot of trading, um, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, though, there are these algorithm strategies, like you mentioned, John, that may trade once a month or several times a month or maybe several times a year. Um, you know, even if you're using no load funds or ETFs to implement such a strategy, eventually they're going to get it wrong. And sometimes, <clears throat> you know, that, that so called tactical asset allocation, um, is going to going to get burned Mm -hmm. because they're going to miss out on a great market. They're going to be on the sidelines when the market recovers. You know, academic research has proven that no one can time the market or pick stocks consistently to beat the market. So if you're using a strategy based on this type of tactical asset allocation or timing type strategy, eventually it will fail big. So, you know, imagine if you're in such a strategy and out of the market when it turned around maybe in, 2009 it made like 50% in just a few months um coming out of the great recession you know that that would have cost you big so eventually any such trading strategy will get it wrong and at the wrong time and it and it can cost you big so that was number 4 last one here on the list is a leveraged ETF um <clears throat> these have become one of the hottest crazes when you look back over the last you know number of years here um they sound really great. You know, they're exchange-traded funds a lot of times that um, invest in a sector or an index, and they do it on leverage. You know, they'll sometimes be listed as, like, 2X or mm-hmm. 3X. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're doing that with borrowed money, in other words. Um, there's a loan against the fund that buys extra shares <clears throat> or futures contracts in an index or a sector. So if you, the market moves up or down maybe 1%, the fund might move up or down 2%. You know, the problem <clears throat> besides that extra risk is the cost of the leverage, i.e. the loan.
1: Yeah, that's right. The futures contracts that you're talking about, they're they are super expensive, and that cost every few months really does begin to eat into the profit. And if you think about it, it's kind of like going to Las Vegas and continuing to, to plow your winnings back into a new game over and over again. You know who ends up with the money, right? Yeah, we've seen that. The casino. I was in actually Vegas a couple of weeks ago and those casinos are are amazing. I mean, and there are people sitting there with Mm, the slot machines and I just I stay away from that. I don't like necessarily giving my money over to a casino. (laughs) So eventually eventually your luck's gonna run out with a leverage fund as well and you'll go down in flames. It'll be twice as fast. So you gotta be careful with this. Instead, you gotta stick with a well diversified portfolio with low-cost funds, no leverage, um, be super diversified in eight to twelve different asset classes. Historically, that's worked out pretty well. Obviously, we're not trying to predict the future here, but diversification has been a a good way to invest historically. With doesn't pre- prevent losses, right? But but you can um, you can use it from a planning perspective, and and uh, it can be a, a big piece of your investment strategy.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the takeaways here are <clears throat> you know these so-called alternative investments, as sometimes they're They're uh, called, they sound too good to be true for a good reason. They they typically are. You know, don't walk, run away from things like viatical settlements, oil and gas programs, leveraged ETFs. You know, steer clear of any investment that includes a loan, leverage, a lot of trading. Lots of investments sound new and interesting, but beware of any new type of investment out there that you haven't heard of. Stick with the tried and true method, as you mentioned, of diversifying into many different asset classes. You know, if you're looking for something new and thrilling, go to Orlando. There's some great roller coasters <laughs> down there. That'll give you the adrenaline rush without losing your retirement. So, um, uh, that's, that's the story on the investments never to make ever. And that leads us up here to our question of the week.
1: Yeah, Steve, I'm sure you're getting this question quite a bit. Um, uh, the question is, is, well, we have a stock market correction this year, and a correction is defined as the uh, market's being down by 10%. Right. And, um, you know, got your crystal ball out. Yeah, ready. I've
0: polished it up, looked into it yep. really closely, and, and it's a little cloudy, yeah, John.
1: Yeah, it's 50% chance that it will and 50% chance that it won't. Well, like I'd that. say
0: it's less chance that it that it won't because yeah. it's, you know, historically I mean in any given year there's what about a 30% chance of yeah. a market correction.
1: And that's one thing that we know is is that there has it has been a while since we've had a market correction. It's been, you know, over a year. Um the average time is a little less than a year. So, you know, people are saying, "Hey, we're due for a correction." Well, if you go back and look at the data and the statistics, Um, DFA, the mutual fund company that we use does a lot of research and provides a lot of good information. There is no correlation between markets being at their new highs and having negative markets. So just because the markets are at a new high does not translate into, we're going to go into a correction mode.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to predict it. You know, I mean, markets can go a long time. The variance on, on the length of time between corrections is very wide, um, so there's just, just no way to predict it. And really, you know, there's. There's nothing in the economy that I see anyway, in my opinion, that, that indicates a correction. Um, well, there the, could
1: be external events. I mean, you got always, stuff going on with North always. Korea and Russia and so forth, and there there likely will be a correction in the next year. But as we just talked about the financial fact of the week, you know, when when there is a correction in the market, um, that's, that's part of investing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you can use it to your advantage in a lot of cases.
0: Right. And historically, it comes back pretty quickly from a correction. A couple from months a, is 10%? typically what. Takes. That's right. A few months, about three months. Exactly. So, all right. And that leads us up here to our next topic, getting mentally ready to retire. I like that because that's another aspect of retirement that mm. most people don't think
1: about. That's right. And step number one is you got to make sure that you're financially ready. Um, we talk about this pretty frequently. Um, we do a lot of retirement planning. We can look at your your resources, you know, pensions, Social Security, um, your investment balances and do a projection of What your income is going to be. And we look out, you know, at age 95. So we look out, you know, several decades and that plan, that retirement plan number, you then have to match up with a budget. So if those two pieces match, then, you know, you have a green light to go ahead and make that decision and step out. But the piece that, that we spend some time on as well with our clients is, you know, are you mentally ready? Um, you know, you got to think through, you've been, you know, you've had a successful, you know, career, but, um, you know, successful retirement is not merely measured in financial terms.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean, the guys that I see that are really happy in retirement or the ladies, you know, people that are very happy in retirement, usually they have a purpose. They have something they plan to go do in retirement. They have a big bucket list, people they plan to go visit, you know, places they want to go see, they have a hobby, they have other interests that they plan to do. If you haven't thought through that and you don't really have a plan for what you plan to do when you, you know, when you check out of, of the workplace, um, you may find yourself mentally unhappy.
1: That's right. I mean, even those that retire with small fortunes can can face boredom, sometimes even depression. Um, there's a fear out there of drawing down their savings too fast. And, and so how can new retirees try to calm their worries? Well, there's a couple of factors that can help. First of all, a gradual retirement transition is a piece of the puzzle. So we see people that, that don't just go from, you know, 50 hours to zero. We see a transition. Maybe they start working part time or they consult. Um, and we also see, you know, folks that work with financial professionals sometimes to help develop that plan to give them more clarity in their situation. I have one client who, um, retired and had, had, has done very well financially and they didn't need extra income, but they needed a purpose. And so they decided to, Deliver flowers because they love the reaction that they got when they opened when someone opened the door and they delivered the flowers and that's they cool yeah. said yeah it was really uh fulfilling and it was just fun and um so you know you got to prepare financially as a piece of it, but the mental piece of it is equally important
0: yeah well I think working part time is a great way to kind of ease into retirement, yeah an abrupt you know break from the workplace it can be you know unsettling um you know I mean consider if you were if you're a, a manager, you know, at, at, at your workplace and, or an executive, you know, and if your identity is closely tied to your job, um, you know, your best friends might all be there, Uh, then you retire and suddenly your friends, your sense of purpose is gone. Um, You know, you might find no compelling reason to leave the house, you know, nothing to look forward to when you get up in the morning. You know, guess what? That type of person hates being retired. Um, So if your identity is really wrapped up in your job, maybe you get your respect, you kind of get your self-identity from your position at work, then you really need to do some hard thinking about what's going to replace that when you retire.
1: Yeah, on the other hand, if you prepare for retirement years in advance, um, you know, you got an encore career, maybe you uh, engage in some self-employment type activities, volunteering you know, you can retire with something promising ahead, something to look forward to. And if you broaden the scope of your social life so you can see your friends and family regularly and interact with, with both both older and younger people in different settings, then, you know, your retirement becomes a little bit more active and, and enjoyable. And, you know, the interest and needs of a retiree certainly can change with age, um, you know, as they disengage from the the, the working world. But retired households, Um, in some cases, may need to adjust their lifestyles. And that's part of the planning piece that comes in to help you determine what kind of activities you're going to be able to do.
0: Yeah, that's right. Just about all retirees have some anxiety, you know, particularly over finances when they retire. um, Because it kind of relates to the fact you're not earning a paycheck anymore. And that's a big change. Um, you, You see it in couples who have earned... You know, have, who have saved maybe only sixty thousand dollars for retirement, but you also see in couples who have saved six million dollars for retirement. It really doesn't matter. You know, the retirement strategies are about to be tested when you retire, you know, in real time. Um so the careful planning is is ready to come to fruition when you retire and there are always unknowns and that can be scary. You know, usually I mean there's there's no turning back usually when you retire to your back to your job. And that's all a scary proposition, mm-hmm. so you have to be mentally prepared for that
1: yeah, that's right, and some retirees also are are afraid to to spend and they feel like they're going to spend you know too much too soon and Again, with the help of a you know financial professional, um, you can go through and do a retirement plan and and have a withdrawal rate that you feel comfortable with. so when you do spend, you can do that comfortably and, and stress free and certainly while, while no retiree wants to squander. Um, their money. All retirees should, should realize that their retirement savings were really accumulated to be spent. So being miserly with the, the retirement money really contradicts its purposes. And, and you know, the average 65-year-old who retires in 2017 still has another 20 years, according to the Social Security Administration. So I, I know you probably have some clients that you have to, to help manage the spending process, both, um, you know, reeling it in and sometimes actually spending it and feeling free that it's okay to spend some.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you want to be able to enjoy your retirement and some people have, have been so kind of tight with their money, trying to get to the retirement and making sure they're prepared that when they get there, they're, they're in great financial shape, but they're not able to really enjoy it because of the anxiety of, of spending more. And they've kind of ingrained this lifestyle of saving, saving, saving their whole time. So you have to be, Kind of mentally prepared for that too mm-hmm. and, and, and be able to kind of loosen up and spend on a budget. Um, you know, broadly speaking, our, our spending does decline as we get older. Um, particularly when you get kind of later, um, U.S. household, uh, headed by 80 year olds, they spent 43% less money than ones headed by a 50 year old, according to recent research. We particularly see that you know, less after about 10 years of retirement, Mm -hmm. you know, people in the first 10 years of retirement typically are going and they're, they're doing the things they want to do. They're traveling, maybe, um, spending, you know, some money that way, kind of replacing what they spent when they were at work. But, uh, after that, we, we tend to see people slow down a little bit. Maybe there's some health issues. Maybe they have elderly parents they're taking care of. So they tend to slow down a little bit after the first 10 years or so of retirement. But uh, you want to make sure that you're you're ready you know and I, I think a budget is the is the best way to yeah, really do it's, that. It's the key. It's the key. I mean, if you have a budget and you know what it looks like, then you can be free to really spend some money and enjoy
1: it. Yeah, the budget um, actually helps the the mental side It does you know? exactly
0: because you can see I mean okay, if, as long as I'm in, in this budget, I can go on that vacation. I can go knock out some of these bucket list items that I want to do because it's in my budget. And I know I'm okay doing it, you know, and I know I'm not going to hurt my 401k or hurt my retirement savings if I if we go and take this big trip that we've always wanted to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the takeaways of this is, I mean, we all know that retirement, um, people think on the financial side, the mental side is, is equally as challenging. So as we sit down and, and talk with folks that are looking at retirement, we certainly cover the financial side, make sure that plan matches the budget. But also we go through the mental side. Um, what are you going to do? You know, what, what are some other activities that, that you're good at that maybe you can earn some additional income, but you're also engaged and you feel kind of a part of, a, of a purpose. Like you said, I think that was a great way to say it. So make sure you've done that preparation. If you need some help in your situation, feel free to reach out to us. We'll be more than happy to, uh, to uh, talk with you.
0: Absolutely. Good topic. Okay. And that leads up to our last one. And that is the prescription of the week.
1: Yeah. This prescription has to do with, um, paying off debt or maybe just reaching a goal. It doesn't have to be debt necessarily, but we see a, a trick that is very, um, very effective and that's creating a visual reminder to track your progress. So um, I uh, met with uh, a, um, a couple this last week and they have over $200,000 of student loan debt. Okay, and so that is a That's long, a long haul to pay that That's off. It's a lot of and long process. So you got to celebrate some wins. So you know, putting a visual um, up on the refrigerator. If you have kids, you can involve them in that. Um, but it keeps it in front of you. You can also celebrate some of the progress associated with that but the visual reminder on a daily basis is not there to stress you out but just to keep you focused
0: yeah i love seeing a graph on a refrigerator idea i mean i think that's a great way to see it you know it doesn't have to be labeled so much that you know everybody comes in your your kitchen knows what you're doing Right. right you don't have to Share your personal finances, right. but it could just be a very generic graph where, you know, you have a number of cards. Maybe you're paying off and you're, mm-hmm. you're marking those off the list or, or maybe there's just a graph to show, you know, how much you're that you update, you know, once a month or something that shows how much debt you have and in kind of broad terms. And, uh, you know, maybe without labels, but something that you can see or in your bathroom somewhere where you can see it. I think that's a great idea to really motivate you. To, to get that behind you and keep pressing on to to reach that goal.
1: Yeah, so so check out Facebook. We have uh, two of our uh, famous actors in the office that are doing the video this week. So that's right. check that out. It'll be uh, pretty pretty fun and humorous, and kind of get a little different take from from uh, some different perspectives here in the office.
0: All right, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to more. Uh, prescriptions for your financial health check us on our website moneymd.net email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call richard young associates at 706-739-0725 thanks for listening have a great rest of the week have a
1: good one